0: Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Our prayer is that through today's message, you're both encouraged and challenged wherever you might be in your walk with Christ. Now open your hearts to be changed by the word of God. Well, when I was writing this message, I normally don't uh, write my intro for this reason because I kind of never know what's coming. Um, But literally my intro this morning on my paper says, Good morning blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like whatever comes out this morning, but no, um, I am I am incredibly blessed to be here. I am honored. Thank you so much for honoring me today. Um, I appreciate it so much, but I one thing I thought about this morning was I had kind of a crazy weekend. I was supposed to go to called camp with the kids, and I got violently ill Thursday, <laughs> and it was not a good situation. And so, um, Matt Klinger actually stepped up and took our kids to youth camp. So thank you so much, Matt, because otherwise they would have missed out on that opportunity. But I'm just thankful for people who step up, um, and lead in that way. But because my weekend didn't go as planned and then my family was out of town and I just kind of hung out at home and I did some other stuff, but I was just thinking like the consistency of Sunday morning for me is so nice. Like it's just a fresh start. It's every Sunday, no matter what happens during the week, I know that I'm going to be here. And it's like just a fresh start for my week. It's that consistency that I need. So I just want to thank you guys for being here on Sunday, um, for joining in that consistency with me. Um, Would you stand this morning? I just want to pray before we jump into the word. Father God, I just ask that you take control right now. God, would you just speak through me to these people to be Just, God, to give whatever word it is that you want for them to hear. God, speak to our hearts individually. Speak to us as a group, as a church. God, speak to families and speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to be in Philippians today. If you want to turn there now, um, if you need some time to find it. But um, if you're in the room today and you have any kind of science background or you know anything about biology, raise your hand. Okay, like three people. That's cool. So you're gonna learn some things today because I also do not have a science background, and so I learned some things. But um, if you do know anything about science, you know that in order to grow something, in order to have to study a culture, right? Um, you have to have like very consistent conditions for whatever it is that you're studying, like on a little Petri dish, right? So um, the temperature has to be right. The lighting in the room has to be right. The conditions in whatever box, the all of the things. Um, the humidity has to be right. So my kids have, over the last few years, learned to hatch their own eggs, like chicken eggs. <laughs> and so they go out and they get the, you know, they steal eggs from the chickens and they put them in this little incubator. And I learned that um, eggs actually need like this crazy amount of humidity, which we don't have in New Mexico, which is why we put them in incubators. But um, chicken eggs, you start them at 40% and then you increase it up to like 70%. Well, then they got bored with the chickens. So then they started trying to hatch peacocks. And peacocks actually need 90% humidity. Can you imagine? Like they need 90% humidity. But anyway, that's just a side story. Whatever it is that you're growing has to have the right environment and conditions, right? It has to be consistently maintained. So today I want to talk about creating a culture of joy. How do we set our eyes on a goal that's creating a culture of joy around us in our city? How do we maintain the conditions that are suitable for the growth of joy, over the last couple of years, I've been consistently brought back to this thought of how do we not only be joyful people, but then how do we teach people to have joy? How do you teach someone to have joy? Um, I believe that our city right now is in desperate need of a joy culture. That we need the culture of joy. Not that we're like unhappy or that we're just like this town full of old grouchy people, right? We're not. We're generally happy, but we need something more permanent. We need something more solid, something that's going to allow us to stand firm in every circumstance. Would you agree? So like when you go to the store or the post office or a game or whatever and you smile and you say, hey, how are you? What's the general response of people? Like, hey, oh, I'm good. How are you? Right? It's like nine times out of 10, if you see someone and smile and ask that question, you're going to get a smile back and you're going to get, oh, I'm pretty good. How are you? You know, but if you sit down with somebody and you share a meal or coffee with somebody or you have a deeper conversation with them, most times that's not what you're going to get. Most times you can really unlock some things that's happening in their lives if you just spend a little bit of time. And you really start to notice their struggles when you dig into deeper conversation and not just, hey, how are you, right? Um, And you learn about the pain and the things that are going through, the things that they're going through in their life right now, right? In the moment when they say, oh, I'm good, it's because they're good right now, right? But when you sit down and you spend time with people, you learn that that's really not the case. Um, And so where I want to start today is that happiness and joy are different. So happiness... Might look something like this little group of balloons over here that I got from the Dollar Tree this morning. These were our options, unless you wanted like Elsa and Superman. So, so here we are. But these are our happiness balloons. And uh, I was kind of curious, just because I like to know random things like this. So I looked it up. Balloons were made in 1824, which is kind of crazy to me. But here's the crazier part. They didn't start using them for parties until 1907. So, like, what were we doing with balloons? (laughs) I'm just like, okay, so these were created in 1824, but they weren't used for celebration for, like, (laughs) what did we do with those? Anybody know? Because I don't. So that's just a little fun fact for you. But for over 100 years, balloons have been this representation of, like, parties, festivities, celebrations, right? It's like this happiness thing. When something happy happens, we get balloons. It's just what we do. So... There's this representation that we're going to use about good news in our life. So it's like these helium-filled balloons. Maybe you saw an old friend this week that you haven't seen in a while. Or maybe you finished something at work that you've been working on and you finally accomplished it. Or maybe you got news from a close friend or family member that they're engaged. Or they're finally having the baby that they've been trying for, right? These are all happy occasions. Um, And all of these things that I just mentioned, they would produce an emotion of happiness, right? All of those things would make you excited, make you happy. But the problem is that happiness is an emotion. It's based on an outcome. It's based on a circumstance, right? It's based on something happening in the moment. And so if I left these balloons here throughout the week, what would happen to them? They would start deflating. And if we came in here next Sunday, they might be on the ground, right? And that's the same thing that happens when, um, when we get good news, right? It produces excitement and happy feelings, but eventually it wears off. And happiness is not something that you can depend on because of that, because it ebbs and flows with your circumstances. It's an emotion. It's temporary, right? Um, if we... Lean on happiness, that's a good thing. We should all, it's not a bad thing to have happiness, right? We should lean towards that. We should lean towards towards those exciting moments and celebrating the small things, right? But the problem is, then when bad news comes, or tragedy strikes, or sickness consumes us, then we're left with this deflated nothingness, right? But joy, joy is like... <laughs> The roots of this tree, now you're going to have to imagine a little bit, okay? <laughs> because this not, is not a crazy flourishing tree. But there are roots, and so the roots of this tree are going to represent joy today. There's something more solid and permanent about roots, right? Than there is helium in a balloon. Um, joy comes from something that's rooted and nourished and produces fruit, and it continues to produce fruit. And if the fruit is maintained in conditions suitable for growth, then it will continue to grow and be healthy, right? In Galatians 5, through 23, Paul tells us that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is a fruit. The fruit is connected to the root, and the root is Jesus. Joy is not circumstantial. It's rooted in permanency so that when your circumstances are not producing happiness— you can still have joy, right? This is good news. Now listen, that sounds simple, but joy is not something that comes naturally to, to us as humans. It just doesn't come naturally. Um, that's why we oftentimes rely on happiness because there's circumstances that make us happy, right? But we have to fight for joy. So a couple of years ago, I think it's been a couple of years. Um, if you know anything about my husband, if you don't, you're about to learn. He loves to grow things. And he has this huge dream that someday our little however many acres in Quay County in the desert is going to look like the rainforest. <laughs> and he has big goals and dreams. So he's always planting things. He's always He's got like grass and trees and fruits and vegetables and all these things. And we're constantly in a disagreement about how much he should spend on these things that I don't think are going to live. So a couple of years ago, um, he went down to Tractor Supply and they were having their annual fruit tree sale because it was almost spring. And we had a small disagreement about how much money exactly Bobby Candle should spend on fruit trees. And I've been around the block A few times, because I also have a mother who likes to plant things, and I have a grandmother who likes to plant things, and a grandfather who likes to have gardens, and I know that I have never really eaten a lot of fruit that was produced (laughs) that we grew. Some, but not a lot. So... I have this wild disagreement about how much he should spend on fruit trees. And we agreed that he should definitely spend a lot on fruit trees. And so he did. He spent a lot on fruit trees. I think he got maybe like eight of these, six of them, ten. Ten, he's saying from the back, he got ten of these. Okay, I don't know if you see this tree. (laughs) He bought ten of them. So then he goes home to his little square plot and he plants them in like rows and columns right trying to make our little orchard in the desert of new mexico and oh no 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 i'm wrong i'm wrong he goes home and he puts them in the garage because it's not quite spring yet but they were having the sale so he had to buy them now so he goes home and he puts them in the garage and he waters them and maintains them and does all the things so that the roots can still grow and all the things then we tell him like i don't think it's time to plant those yet like i think it's going to freeze again he was anxious, he wanted his orchard. So then he takes him to the little square plot and he plants him in rows and columns and he makes this cute little orchard of trees. And then like three days later, the freeze is coming. And so we're all in a panic trying to save these trees. And I really don't care about the trees except for he spent a lot of money on these trees. And so so I'm calling everyone I know. I call Pastor Derek because he used to work in an apple orchard. I call my mom. I call my grandpa. I don't know who Bobby called. But anyway, we call all these people and they're like, all right, you have to keep them warm. And I'm like, great. It's going to snow. We have to keep the dadgum trees warm. What are we supposed to do with these? So Bobby finds straw and starts packing it in around the trees and then this is the best part it's my favorite part of the story he goes and gets this gigantic roll of black plastic and he starts wrapping from the bottom to the top of these fruit trees with black plastic so When I drive home and I turn the corner in my beautiful orchard, I have beautiful 10 trees wrapped in black plastic. It was incredible. It was the best spring ever just because of how much time and effort he spent fighting for these fruit trees. But this is what I'm telling you. We have to fight for joy in the same way. We have to fight to produce the fruit. Bobby fought because he wanted the fruit that was going to be produced from those trees, and we have to do that when we're fighting for our joy. If you're struggling with joy right now, it's because the conditions in your environment are not suitable for growth. So often, what that means is that the things that you're rooted in are self-related. If you're losing joy, your roots are not in Jesus, they're in yourself. And what I mean by that is that we naturally gravitate towards ourselves. What we desire, what we think we need, what we want in that moment. And when we do that, we start looking at our everyday lives based on what we want. And we become rooted in ungratefulness because what we want is what we want. And suddenly what we have is not good enough, right? Um, I remember coming out of 2020, coming out of like that whole COVID era, whatever that was, um, you know, we weren't allowed in restaurants or anywhere. And then as we started coming out of that, um, they were allowing like a certain number of people in every space, right? And so a lot of the numbers around here, just because of our population, whatever was 10, you were allowed to have 10 people in a building. So um, what I remember from that is, Being Like, we were so excited to go out and eat one day and be able to go into a restaurant and have someone serve us and eat and whatever in a restaurant. And we got there, and we were having to wait because they were only letting 10 people in, so we had to wait for somebody else to come out. And so many other people walked up, read the sign, talked to people, figure out what was going on, and they would get furious, like, irate about how many people you could allow in a restaurant. And all the, all the people that work in restaurants are like, mm-hmm, we remember. They remember because they were, people were hateful, right? They were just irate about the number of people that could be in the restaurant. They completely forgot that two days ago, we weren't even allowed in the restaurant, right? But we get so caught up in what we need and what we want and our self-desires. And we forget to be grateful for the things in front of us, the things that we have right now. The enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit. I'm going to say it again. The enemy of joy is an ungrateful spirit. Joy is produced when we're thankful. So now I'm going to read in Philippians. If you got the text last night and you do your homework, then you've probably already read this. But um, in Philippians, I'm going to start in... Where am I going to start? I'm going to start in chapter 4. Um so remember, Philippians is a letter that Paul is writing while he's where? In prison, right? He's been beaten. He's been thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. So this is a letter that he's written to the Philippians. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 4. It's very simple. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So the word joy is the root word for the word rejoice. And in the Greek language, the word rejoice, or the root word joy, it means to be aware of grace. So what Paul is saying here when he's saying rejoice in the Lord, he's saying be aware of God's grace. And as we're aware of that grace, it produces naturally a sense of gratitude. So then a little further down in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying here, I want you to create and maintain conditions suitable for growth. And what I'm talking about is not just happiness that comes and goes, but a rejoicing always. And then again, and again, and again, and again, over and over and in order to rejoice in the Lord, you're gonna to have to start with what you're thankful for, right? Right there in verse six, he says, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be known. So you have to start with what you're thankful for. You're gonna to have to start by identifying some things that God has done for you. Paul led by example here, he's beaten up, he's in prison. uh, for sharing his faith. And in the very beginning of this letter, if you go back in chapter one, the first thing after his greeting in the letter, the, the heading is thanksgiving and prayer. And he talks about how he's so thankful for these people who are standing by him and praying for him and supporting him while he's in prison. He starts with what he's thankful for. He says, all my prayers I pray for you, I pray with joy because he's thankful for them. There's a connection between gratitude and joy. Anybody know who Brene Brown is? I think I'm saying that right. I actually YouTubed this to see how to pronounce it because I was calling her Brenie. Apparently her name is Brene. So Brene Brown is a renowned college professor. She's an author. Um, she did some stuff. She did a lot of like college studies um, about the relationship between gratitude and joy. And there was one that was 12 years long. There's 11,000 pieces of data in this study. And then she does, she's done several interviews. You can go look it up. They're super interesting. Um, But in one of the interviews where she's talking about this study, she says this. In the research, we learned that the most effective way to cultivate joy in our lives is to practice gratitude. The key word here is practice. It's not just about feeling grateful. It's about developing an observable practice. Then she says this, so often we think that joy makes us grateful, when in reality, it's gratitude that brings us joy. There has to be a tangible way for us to be grateful in our everyday lives, so she goes on and she talks about um, some of the people that she studied and what their tangible way is. So some of them keep gratitude journals. Some of them have a journal that every day they write in things that they're thankful for. Some of them um, do things like they call it like a one two three four. So every day at twelve thirty four, they say something out loud that they're grateful for. And they it's like seems, seems silly, but they do. They legitimately say out loud. What they're thankful for every day at 1234, it's a tangible practice. Maybe it's spending time um, at your meal with your family. We, We all do this at Thanksgiving, right? We say grace, and then everybody has to go around, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, and then the kids are like, he stole mine. What, you only have one thing to be grateful for? That's what that's my response every time. I'm like you only have one thing to be grateful for and he stole it? Like we have a problem. So anyway, but maybe it's maybe that's it. Maybe it's taking your meal with your family and and sharing things that you're grateful for and eventually I I do believe eventually that your kids will start producing things that they're grateful for that are different than just, oh, I'm thankful for the spaghetti, or like, I'm thankful that I didn't have to wear a coat today, right? Eventually, they're going to start saying things like, I am so thankful that my mom's healthy because my best friend's mom's not healthy. Or they're going to start saying things like, I'm so grateful that I have friends because there are kids who don't have friends. If you produce a tangible practice in your home, in your church, in your community, of tangible ways that we can be grateful Lives are going to change. They found in the study that gratitude precedes joy. If you can be thankful before the work email, before the call from the school that your kid's misbehaving, before you get rear-ended at the stoplight by a tractor, Judy, (laughs) before your toddler has a raging fit because the last fruit snack in the bag was purple and not red, if you begin maintaining circumstances suitable for joy then there are no circumstances that can steal it. There are circumstances that can steal your happiness, but there are no circumstances that can steal your joy. So Paul gives us a perfect example of this again. He's sitting in prison, and he writes in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to read this straight out of my Bible because I like this version. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I have to be super honest with you. This is one of my very least favorite verses. I even have it highlighted in a different color, which is like kind of subconscious, but I think it was like, oh. Um, I don't like this verse, this I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because there's a specific age group of people, my age group, millennials, they use this verse for everything. And it's like so out of context. And so they'll say things like, "Um, I'm going to crush this interview because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or like, I'm going to win the Powerball because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, that is not at all (laughs) what this is talking about. Um, So it's become this verse of like the power of self-help. And that's kind of, counterproductive because it's literally saying you can do things through Christ, not yourself, right? But they've been, you know, misusing this verse forever. So here's the context for the verse. I'm not saying it can't be used as a pep talk, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's in the Bible. It's God-spoken. It's true. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I believe that. But the context that Paul was talking about is not a power of positive thinking, It's a power of positive rooting. He was rooted in Jesus. And so he did believe that he could do anything through Christ because he was rooted in Christ. It wasn't just this like fun little pep talk that he said. It was rooted in something more permanent. It's coming from someone saying, I was beat up and put in prison for my faith and I still had joy. I still had what I needed because through Christ, God has allowed me to experience the strength I need beyond the current circumstance. What he's saying wasn't a pep talk. It was rooted in a sense of certainty that God would provide for him in any situation. So if we cultivate joy by gratitude, then how do we maintain the conditions to grow it and then to consistently have it like Paul? So I'm going to give you four things in your notes if you want to get those out. Um, Number one, maintaining a culture of joy requires people who are captivated by Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. People who are captivated by Jesus. So in order for us to create a culture of joy, we have to create people who are captivated by Jesus. And I'm not saying that that can't start at any age but what is the easiest age to captivate someone? Very young, right? I can captivate. Listen, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's getting a kid's attention. And normally I do it in a nice way, unless it's my own kids sometimes. But I can captivate a kid with anything. I can have, like, my hand behind my back. I can, like, bend down and tell them I'm going to tell him so Like, I can captivate a kid that fast. And... So if we're going to create people who are captivated by Jesus, we need to start young. And our team, let me just pause here, little plug for our volunteers. They do a fantastic job of captivating our kids for for the right things, right? Our nursery... It seems like just childcare, but if you walk back there in the middle of the service, they're singing songs about Jesus. They're telling, they're telling these tiny little kids that they have joy in their hearts because of Jesus. They do a fantastic job. So we have to create people who are captivated by Jesus, and it's not just little kids. We have to learn as adults to be captivated by Jesus. In other words, if you're going to be a joy, joyful person, if your family is going to be a joyful family, if your church is going to be a joyful church, if your community is going to be a joyful community, then the culture has to be captivated by Jesus. The problem is we have a culture who thinks that acknowledging Jesus is the same as knowing him. We have people who call themselves Christians and generally, like, they really do believe that they're Christians because they know Jesus, right? They they know who Jesus is. They have this picture of, like, Yes, I agree that Jesus was God's son. Yes, I agree that he came to die on the cross. Yes, I agree that he was the savior of the world. And so they think that's what it means to be Christian. Yes, you have to know that and proclaim that to be Christian. Yes. But they're missing this key component, and it's that you can know who Jesus is and not know Jesus Knowing Jesus is a relationship. It's not just an awareness of who he is. It's having a revelation and be totally captivated by Jesus. Now, both are necessary. You have to know who Jesus is. You have to have an awareness of who he is, but you also have to know him. They're both necessary. See, I can look at this tree. Now, listen, you're going to have to just imagine a little bit, okay? Just give me a break here. I can look at this tree and be aware of what it is. I can be aware that this is a fruit tree. I can be aware that eventually it probably will grow fruit. (laughs) I can be aware of what it does, right? But let's just imagine that this tree is fully grown. If I sit under this tree in its shade and read books, if I water it and nurture the soil around it, if I pick the fruit from it and eat it, and then I save the seeds and I go over to my orchard and I plant seeds again to grow another tree. Then I'm not just aware of this tree. I'm not just aware of what it does. Then I'm fully captivated and I have a relationship with this tree, right? It's the same with Jesus. It's different to know and be aware of who he is and know Jesus. Philippians 3.10, Paul says somewhere in there, he says, that he wants to know Christ. When you come to want to know Christ and not just know of him, that's when life transformation happens. You can know of him all day long, and your life will not be changed until you know him. Some of us are missing joy because we're missing the true sense of the relationship with Jesus. Number two, maintaining a culture of joy requires people who are stunned by the gospel and its mission. In other words, the Bible is just as exciting now as when it was written. It's just as exciting this Sunday as it is last Sunday and the Sunday before that and the Sunday before that when Jamie made it all the way to the back row and the Sunday before that when Nick stood up here quiet and gentle and spoke God's word to us. It's just as exciting every single time we hear it because it's the word of God. Because it's true. Because it's never failed. The gospel is something that's always exciting to us. It's like the feeling when you get baptized and you know immediately when you come out of that water that something has changed in your life. And you have that feeling of change and transformation. But then you have to still have that feeling and be stunned by that feeling five years later when your life is a mess. You have to remember what God did for you in that water. It's being constantly aware and excited about what God has to say to you. It's like the story of the shepherd that finds his lost sheep, right? He goes searching, and he finds it, and he picks it up, and he puts it on his shoulders, and the Bible says he carries it back, excited, and then he tells, every, <coughs> he tells everybody else, Look, I found my sheep. I found it. Rejoice with me be joyful with me, right, he tells this story, and it's not only, so then it's not only being grateful for finding what you're looking for, right, for finding the life transformation, but then it's what, it's going and telling everybody else, look what I found, look at this revelation, look it's changed my life, be joyful, rejoice with me, it's all those things, so Paul, he arrived at this place, He arrived at this place where his mission overrode his condition. He was in a circumstance that would have stopped most people from continuing the mission, right? He's beaten. He's in prison. People don't like him. But he's so rooted in Jesus that being in prison is more of just like an annoyance, like just like a little bump in the road. I don't know about you, but being in prison does not sound like a small annoyance to me. Um, But for Paul... It was, just a, it was not a deterrence from his joy, right? He sat in prison and wrote to these people about how grateful he was, how thankful he was for the things that God was doing. And I'm looking at it like, okay, but you're sitting in prison. Like, how grateful can you possibly be? But he was. He was so thankful for the things that God was doing. And it's because he was rooted in an unchanging God. And he knew that there was still a mission regardless of the current circumstance God needs you to know today that there is a mission regardless of your current circumstance and listen I know we go through some hard things I've been through some hard things I know what that's like but our mission does not change because things are hard and that's like a tough lesson that we have to learn our mission does not change because life is hard God said our life was going to be hard but the mission never changed Paul is so focused on populating heaven that nothing was going to take the mission away from him. And the mission is what gave him joy. If you read in Philippians, you can start to hear almost this, like what's coming out of him is what he's grateful for is that these people are beginning to know Jesus, right? He's joyful because the mission gave him joy. If the people in your inner circle are not real joyous... Your inner circle probably isn't focused on the mission that's rooted in Jesus. Number three, maintaining a culture of joy requires confidence in every season. The mission, the maintaining culture of joy requires confidence in every every season. The glimpse that you've seen of the Savior, the glimpse, is so great and miraculous and life-changing that it gives you peace about all the things that you don't know about, all the things about the story that are still hidden. In other words, your joy is not contingent on God telling you all the details, the who, the where, the what, the why, the when. And some of you would say, okay, well, if he's a good God and he loves me, then why wouldn't he tell me the plan? Listen, it's because he loves you that he does not tell you the plan. Joy comes from knowing that you can trust your God in every situation, in every circumstance, because he's been there from beginning to end. Because we've seen him supply needs, because we've witnessed him heal our loved ones, because we've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of the ways that he's been good. Joy comes from knowing that God will continue all those things because he said that he would. God says I'm not telling you all the details of who, what, when, where, and why because it'll distract you from the one thing that I've asked you to do. If I tell you what's going to happen next month, then you're going to start changing all this stuff and moving things around and rearranging your lives and doing all this stuff because of the thing that's coming, and all I need you to do is focus on what I told you to do today. Right now, in this moment, what did I tell you to do? Don't worry about next month worry about right now. That's why he doesn't tell us all the details. If we consistently have an attitude of confidence in the Lord, that's when we truly find peace. God, you know what the situation is. You know what the situation is. I'm going to come with thanksgiving. I'm going to come with my prayers. I'm going to come with my gratitude. I'm going to come with my offerings. I'm going to come and make all of it known to you. And when I do that... The peace of God is going to guard my heart and my mind. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, the things that we don't understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you've offloaded all the things you're concerned about to a God who's concerned about you. And you've been thankful for what he's already done and provided. You've recognized the things that he's already done and provided for you so that you can trust him to do and provide in the future. I hesitated telling this story because I haven't told it. I've only told it in public once and it wasn't here. Um, but it was really pressing on my heart that it just fit. And so I'm going to tell it. I'm going to take a little bit of extra time and tell it. But um, a couple of years ago, When I got pregnant with Noli, right before that um, was when I was named the director of foster care ministry for our New Mexico state network. So it was, um, we went to Albuquerque for a network conference. Um, They had been talking about this foster care ministry for a long time. My heart had been stirring about foster care ministry and churches in our state and how we could kind of connect those two things. God gave me a vision for the future about how that could happen. He provided the people. He provided the steps. Then we're at Network Conference, and things just fell together. Um, I had conversations with Pastor Mike over the next several weeks, and eventually we decided, yes, we're doing this. New Mexico is getting involved in the foster care space. Our AG churches are going to do something about this crazy foster care situation right and so I started doing that and literally like four months later <laughs> in the middle of all of that I find out that there's going to be a noli and I honestly was devastated I was like this is horrible timing like what are you talking about? I'm going to have a baby. Are you kidding me? Like, why would you? And then I was mad. It was like this whole like like phases of things. And so I was like, I was sad. And then I was angry. And I was like, why would you give me this vision for foster care and put all these things in place for me and then literally put me in my bed? Because I don't know if you remember this. Some of you do. Some of you had no idea it was even happening. But I was so sick. Like, for months, for weeks, I was ill. Like when I'm saying ill, I'm saying like I was in bed. I was not able to get out of bed. I was not able to keep anything down. Like I was literally going to our clinic where Haley works. I was literally going there like three or four times a week to get IVs. It was miserable. And I'm like, God, what on earth are you doing? Like this is this is not the plan. This was not the plan, right? You gave me this vision for foster care, and for this ministry, and for New Mexico, and then now all of a sudden, I can't even get out of bed, I can't even go to church, I can't even be with the people that I love, I can't go to life group, I can't do anything, I'm miserable, I'm crying all day, I'm depressed, and like, all this stuff started happening. And then, in June, well, I got better. I got a little better. Whatever. (laughs) I just accepted the situation, moved on. Um, I stopped being sick. We moved on. Nine months later, we got Magnolia Quinn Brave. And watching her grow and live and flourish in our church, watching God's perfect timing unfold in the situation and listening to him say, listen to me, the plans did not change I didn't change your plans. This was the plan. <laughs> like, I didn't understand that because I couldn't see down the road. I couldn't see to next year. I couldn't see where people would be or what people would be doing or what my family would be doing. I couldn't see all the things that were related to foster care. All I could see was what was in front of me and that I was sick and depressed and I hated it. And I hated every second of it. But then God said, I didn't change the plan. You thought I changed the plan because you didn't know the plan because I didn't tell you the plan because you would be stressed about the plan, right? He, didn't, he never changed the plan. The plan was always the same. I'm thankful for a God who gives me things I didn't ask for because now I have even more to be thankful for. I have more gratitude and more joy because of the things that I didn't ask for and the plan that I didn't know. Trust God's plan. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is in maintaining a culture of joy is that it requires praise. Worship team, if you would come and join me. Maintaining a culture of joy requires praise. And just like I said it before, now that I have Noli and know the plan or know part of the plan, I have more to be thankful for and more joy in my life because of her but joy has to be activated in worship. You can't just say you feel grateful and you can't just know deep down in your innermost being that, yeah, you really are grateful for the things God has done for you, right? I think most of us in this room are able to say that. Like, yeah, deep down, yeah, I, I really am grateful for the things that I have. I'm not an ungrateful person. You also can't, just think privately to yourself and deep in your soul that you're really completely blown away by God and not express that. It's not enough just to worship God in the private moments of your life because then no one else can see what he's done. The psalmist says in Psalms one hundred one through five, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, knowing that the Lord God is good, it is he who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him And praise his name do you see where this is going thanks and praise thanks and praise over and over it says that in the bible for the lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations not just our generation but noli's generation and her grandkids generation and her grandkids grandkids generation through all generations God is faithful and continues. And God says the mountains are doing it. The waves of the ocean are doing it over and over. The trees of the field and the forest are clapping their hands. The stars explode for his glory. They spin and they sing and they shine because of who God is. The lightning and the thunder create storms that reverberate God's power. All creation sings in praise and response to who God is, so why don't we? Gratitude rooted in Jesus can't help but be expressed in worship. So if there's not an outward expression of joy, then you need to ask yourself, is there a root in my life? that I'm cultivating and maintaining the conditions for it to grow, am I cultivating joy, the root of joy in my life? Because maybe you've been pretty happy and so you think you've got the fruit, right? But one phone call, one bad day, I was gonna bring scissors and like, (laughs) one phone call, one bad day, One tragedy, one illness, some bad news, an argument. Suddenly happiness is fragile. But this root that we're talking about, this root is eternal. It's a root that grows and spreads and reproduces if we let it. It flows through grace and gratitude and joy that's not fragile like happiness. Joy that gives us strength to face each circumstance without knowing the details. Joy that says, I can trust the God who made me, even if I'm beaten down and imprisoned. I can still choose to praise and worship him. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul and Silas literally imprisoned, praising and worshiping Jesus. And what happened? They were freed, right? They were freed because they chose to take that joy root and express it in worship. They could have just sat there and prayed. They could have just sat there and held hands tight and ignored everybody else and just said, God, let us free, let us loose. Please let us out of here so we can bless your name, so we can tell other people about you. But no, they didn't do that. They went through the entire jail cell, which probably wasn't big, like probably that drum cage size, you know, They just went through the whole jail cell jumping and clapping their hands and praising and singing and pretty soon everybody heard it. That's the difference in praising God in quiet and praising God in worship so that people know what he's done for you. There's a difference. We have the opportunity this morning to praise a God who has never, not once, failed. Failed. Thank you for listening. If you're able, we would love to have you join us in service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find more information on Facebook. Just search Curry First Assembly. Have a great day.